Hey everyone, I know I kind of pulled a fast one. Uh, this is episode 73, it's true, all of it. Uh, on Barry Weiss's Twitter files, uh, second release. Uh, I scheduled this room for about 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, and then I realized that my voice is currently on the outs. And so I didn't really want to wait another hour. Uh, I just want to kind of get this done and over and hear from you guys and then uh, probably go sleep it off, and hopefully I have it for tomorrow. Um, I know Taibi is right now still on Twitter, kind of going through his part three uh, about the Slack channels of Twitter leadership and safety teams kind of making determinations on which tweets to flag or take down or what have you. Uh, I don't want to go too much into that as it's, he's kind of in mid, I guess, Twitter thread right now. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of let that play out. Um, but uh, in light of kind of uh, me not being able to really speak that much, I'm just going to kind of jump right into this. And uh, don't don't be shy. Feel free to get up. We'll go for about an hour. I'll get as many people in from uh, that I can, especially from last night, because I know I dumped a ton of people. Uh, but again, your reaction to... Uh, basically, the shadow bans we learned are all real. I don't really need to go that much into it. If you've been following it, if you've been seeing on Twitter, uh, we learned that based on screenshots from Barry Weiss that uh, we saw the internal dashboards of what that all looked like and on certain accounts of do not amplify, uh, especially on Charlie Kirk, which is actually good advice, but still, it's still bad. Um, so, again, just your kind of reaction of what you think you've seen. And uh, again, Taibi's posting some really interesting stuff about uh, our friend Yol Roth, who has become kind of uh, character number one in all of this. Um, effectively, it looked like Twitter's safety team and trust council, or whatever the hell you want to call it, was effectively running Twitter from top to bottom. And uh, they, of course, all resigned today. And uh, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to remain safe without a Huffington Post writer, a former Obama official, and someone who is clearly openly biased against the political right. I don't know what we're going to do without them keeping us all safe. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll try to get through it. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump in. We'll go for about an hour, and then uh, I'm probably going to go uh, gargle some salt water and then put my face in a pillow. But um, as usual, just kind of the ground rules, just uh, be mindful if there's people behind you. I know last night we didn't, I didn't take any, I took like four people that, just because of how it went. Um, and then also if you can just mute your microphone when you're not speaking, it just makes it easier for the recording. And then also I not distracted by anything. So uh, I'm going to shake things up right now. We only have about four people up there, but feel free to jump in the queue and uh, I'll try to get around to you. And like I said, if not, I, I may be here tomorrow as well, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, take last as first uh, Robert back there. Um, go ahead. I don't know if I've, if Robert's ever been up, but down there and go ahead. You're on. Uh, do we have a fun glitch? Uh, it looks like your mute's off, Robert, but I'm not getting any sound on your end. Uh, I'm going to be hitting the uh, cough button tonight. Robert, do me a favor. Uh, if you can hear me, just go ahead and jump out of the room, maybe reopen the app. There he is. Go ahead.
Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm done with uh, cell phone tech anyway. Um, but uh, uh, just the uh, the only thought I had on the Twitter stuff was uh, uh, last night's caller, I believe Mitch, uh, had mentioned uh, the idea of all of them committing securities fraud. And even if the Biden administration uh, isn't going to do shit about them, uh, much like they're not going to do shit about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, I hope Elon Musk, uh, you know, may be able to uh, to recoup uh, some of that forty-four billion uh, from uh, from buying Twitter, which would be just uh, even sweeter. Um, uh, the one topic I just wanted to bring was, of course, great news from uh, from Georgia. Um, uh, good old Herschel uh, doing us all proud or not so much. Um, I do have, I guess, a silver lining to all of this. Um, I am hoping, uh, as much as I've loved Herschel Walker uh, as a football player, um, and I'm proud to support him and about any way I can, uh, although I certainly wasn't proud of uh, voting for him. Uh, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, his candidacy is, was so bad that uh, it, you know, signals the death of Donald Trump as, a, as any relevant role in the Republican Party. Uh, possibly. Uh, polling does heading to... 2024, um, and he's become an expert of just kind of walking all over his own dick. Um, but I'm not sure ultimately if that even matters. So uh, we're kind of now on that roller coaster into the grave that is the 2024 election. So I think it's just kind of hang back and see. And you know, he's a guy who what was it? You know, as this stuff was coming out of the day, the day before Georgia, he's calling to like basically abolish the constitution. <laughs> And uh, look, I kind of roll my eyes at that stuff. Um, I don't I don't get like the throat clearing. The former president of the United States is on truth. So, and it's just like, guys, I kind of just roll my eyes at it, um, which I know people some people say you shouldn't do or not. But it's just kind of like I've learned that um, st starving him of oxygen is kind of the only way to make that fire go out. And so uh, that's kind of how I look at that stuff. But possibly there's a lot of people who feel the way that you do. Um, <clears throat> I, I saw a great tweet today that said uh, Kirsten Sinema uh, basically won, uh, did a better job of reducing the amount of Democrats in Congress than uh, in the Senate than Donald Trump did or the Republican Party. And I thought that that was funny. Naughty, by the way. Very, very naughty. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you just time will tell. There's no, we'll see how. There's another field of 13 people um, who all split, you know, 46, 50% of the vote. Um, I think people who are polling right now, like John Bolton this week, talked about getting in the race. So people who are polling at one, two, three, four percent probably need to take a hard look in the mirror about what they really want their. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping uh, that that some of the mistakes that uh, the Republican uh, Republicans as a party uh, did uh, that kind of help uh, Trump uh, 
you know, steal all the oxygen, uh, you know, yeah, again, by diluting, uh, you know, the, the field. Um, that's definitely a way to do it. Uh, speaking of Kirsten Cinema, um, you know, I'm wondering what the tipping point for her uh, to change uh, as an independent was. I'm wondering if it was uh, Ted Cruz's daughter's situation. I don't know much about it, um, but I, I just have a feeling that that cinema uh, just said, "Look, I am, you know, I've I know what it's like to be harassed and bullied by you know Democrat supporters, um, and uh, you know I've seen enough of this shit. That or maybe you know knowing Chuck Schumer probably said something sensitive was like." Oh, couldn't happen to a better family, you know, or some other bullshit like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm uh, uh, certainly don't mind her being being naughty in this case. Um, I pr- any of that. I think there's a few dynamics, and when I say that <clears throat> she's, I think she understands power consolidation, and what I mean by that is I think her and her people around her understand that her being who she is can be one of the most influential and powerful senators in the country. And she knows that if say, she doesn't just go along with abolishing the filibuster. She knows that if she holds out and says, I'm not going to do that, she's going to get Democrat leadership to come to her and say, okay, what do you want to get you on board? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And so I think that has more to do with it than she, I think she understands that if she goes independent, she said she's not going to caucus with Republicans. And I saw a lot of people on the right shrug that off. Well, what I think this is, is this is her signaling to Democratic leadership. I'm not going to go along with abolishing the filibuster. I'm not going along with a lot of these kind of court packing schemes that you want. Um, and so uh, I still think she votes like a Democrat most of the time, but she swings both ways. Um, it's going to be hard to whip her for votes. Um, a lot of people might want to like take her in a back room and, and table her for some motion or something. But I think what she understands is that she is infinitely more powerful and influential in what she in her role than if she is just another yes vote on the record for the United States Senate. And I, I think that she genuinely is probably more concerned with doing what's good for her state. Um, I don't think it has anything really to do with Ted Cruz or you know, Schumer saying anything or whatever. I think it's, she's strictly looking at it and saying, I can be, I can just be a go ahead to get, I can be a get along to go ahead kind of Senator and vote yes on everything that Chuck Schumer tells me to or whatever, or I can wield some of my influence and be that 51st vote on things. And I can leverage the the party. I can leverage both parties to get what I want. And I think that that pretty much has everything. I think she, I think she likes to dominate, shall we speak, the uh, the two party narrative, and uh, I think that that probably has more to do. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, um, but yeah, I certainly don't mind a little bit of chaos in the Senate, especially since the Republicans couldn't get uh, to fifty to even things up a little bit. Uh, so uh, I'll just uh, leave with uh, uh, just a quick comment about my Georgia Bulldogs. I know you say you don't care much for minor league football. Um, uh, but I got to say, you know, we, we do, you know, we enjoy our minor league football in Georgia. Uh, I think the only difference is we call that team the Atlanta Falcons. Cheers, Stephen. Hope you get to.
matter with your voice. Thanks, thanks, Robert. Uh, hold on, back there. I'm gonna bring Jay up. I'm gonna try to get through pretty much everyone that I have in the queue now, but I just uh, getting some people who I don't see a ton up or. Hey, yeah, I haven't uh, been in in a while. Ever since the election, I kind of tuned out a lot of it. <laughs> Lucky you. I, well, I work in it, so it's the one reprieve I get is not listening to it every day. Um, it's kind of where I but, am with the Twitter file stuff, where it's kind of like this. This is exciting, and I and I'm excited to finally see all of this stuff come out. But it's like Friday night, and I was thinking about just doing like an average, and then I see Taibi post again. I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck. Like yeah. I'm just I'm like, oh, here we go. I can't have another weekend. Yeah, every day I read. Every morning I read. Politico playbook and have to search through that. So not listening to a podcast about it, kind of, kind of nice sometimes. <laughs> um, but my main thing is, yeah, this all sucks, and in a lot of ways it is what we thought, and now it is in the open. But what now? What's next? Like nothing's going to change outside of they're still going to use Twitter. They can't utilize the levers of power they can now but they can in every other way. They can minimize it as much as they want. And then it all goes back. In 24, it's going to be the same story. Well, I think that one of, one of the things that was important is that Musk basically severed the relationship between tip Twitter and the security state. That's all gone. So all of the connections with James Baker and the FBI and the DHS and, and all of that stuff, that to me is all over with. Now, does that mean Musk isn't talking to those people or whatever? I don't know. I mean, he's a government contractor through SpaceX and, and subsidized through Tesla. So I'm sure he's still talking to people on background about, you know, hey, you better not, you, you better not bring any Nazis onto the site or whatever. Oh, sorry, that's a cough. Um, <clears throat> but I think the important thing is, is that the information he's releasing is on people who are no longer at this company. Yoel Roth is no longer near these levers of power. Neither, neither is Vijay Gad. The Twitter Trust and Safety Council, whatever, like the fucking Kryptonian Council is gone now. And so I do think that that's, that is something that does change because those people aren't there. And I think if Musk brings back like a, a moderation council or whatever, you could argue it might be more balanced. Um, as far as like things not changing, I think that that's for the next election. I think that that's so far down the road um, and that's just going to be the next big thing. So I would, I would minorly disagree that nothing changes. I mean, already things have changed. We, we've had confirmation of shadow bannings happening, uh, limiting account reach, which must said he's still going to do, but um, is he going to do it based on political ideology? I don't know. Um, somebody I saw suggest that Musk is basically going to turn around and do this to Democrats and progressives. And my hope is that he doesn't. Um, so I kind I kind of quibble a little bit with the idea that nothing's going to change. Um, that doesn't mean like heading into 2024 as Molly Ball wrote that corporations aren't going to collude with, you know, media and stuff as they basically admitted to her. Um, and that's of course, another hurdle to overcome, um, and, I, and I think that the best way to overcome that is to just call them out and make sure they know it's not profitable if they're going to exclude half of the country. So I, I think that you're right 
that there might be concern in that arena. But uh, for all of those, they, they won't have what they think, the value that they put on Twitter, which is enormous, um, th- that's gone from them. That's out of their hands now. And you can see just kind of the sheer panic and hopelessness on their part by just how many people are just kind of saying, we're leaving Twitter. It's interesting to me, the accounts today that started doing that. And I'm wondering if, so we saw Elton John, who just performed at the White House, I'll have you know. And we saw Mark Ruffalo, who's a known progressive activist and in touch with people there. And so I'm really wondering if this is not a kind of coordinated campaign behind the scenes to get high profile accounts to say they're leaving Twitter. And if that's being coordinated by uh, comms in the white house or some, someone else, a progressive groups, but it is interesting, like out of the blue, Elton John's like, I'm bloody off Twitter because I didn't even know he was on Twitter. And so I was like, "Hi, huh, he just performed at the white house a few weeks ago. That's interesting. And now Mark Ruffalo, who's not just, you know, replacement Hulk. So, <clears throat> Um, that's going to be interesting to see if, if you start to see high profile accounts, they tried to go through the Apple store and that didn't work. And so they're still going to continue this kind of assault on what Elon Musk is doing because they're upset that they basically lost their favorite toy. So all of what Taibi is posting, and it looks like he's done. Thank God. Um, I think that this is all good to just get out. Whether or not anything really comes of it, I don't really think that that's that important. I think what's important is the transparency behind what Twitter's old leadership was doing and how they were managing the... No, yeah, that all makes sense. Um, I was listening to the commentary podcast, and I think it was Noah Rothman that was saying it. It was like... I mean, obviously, we don't know. He, He might be done for tonight, but... Seems like every day there's a new thread with either Barry or Matt Taibbi. Did they save the best for last, or was the bombshell the first thing they did? That's like my like that's the one thing that I'm wondering. I about. think that they are smart journalists and authors, and I think they know how to write. And I think they're going kind of chronologically. If you look at what they're doing, they started with the Hunter Biden laptop, and then they moved. Um, Barry Weiss moved into shadow banning. And now Taibbi's doing, prior to January 6th, uh, the, the post-election shit that Trump was, you know, ranting about. Taibbi has teased that not, then they're going to go into what Twitter was doing on January 6th when they actually banned his account. And then I think there's, you're probably going to go more into, uh, as the Biden administration took over and uh, empowered Fauci, especially with, as it pertained to vaccine mandates, and reopenings and lockdowns, I think that that's probably next. And then, then that's probably the biggest bombshell is was uh, Fauci and the CDC and the DHS coordinating with Twitter to get, you know, lock out medical professionals. Um, so, again, I think that they're authors or writers. They know what they're doing in the sense of you don't release your, your biggest bombshell first. You, you work up to that. And I think they're laying the groundwork to show for bigger things. Um, and I think like the, the Trump stuff is interesting to me, um, just watching this, how these guys talk and their group speaks and what they allow and then what they don't allow. I, I don't think that this is kind of the bombshell. I think they're going to get to the bombshells. And that's remember, you have Fauci, who just gave a deposition in the social media case. And Jen Psaki tried to get out of this deposition, which is, is curious to me. 
Um, and she is now going to be deposed on was the, was the White House coordinating with social media companies to basically uh, institute narratives around COVID vaccine mandates and et cetera. And, you know, Fauci just went in and was like, I, I don't remember. I don't recall 190 times. And then Saki is going to be interesting. So I, I don't think that the I don't want to say the best. I, I don't think that the biggest stuff is behind because I think these guys are smart enough to know that you you lead up to things. You let your opponents get in there like already they, they threw out dick pics. And now we're talking, oh, well, this doesn't look to be about dick pics, does it? And so I think that they're smart people and they know that when you craft a story, especially through journalistic narratives, that um, you, you do it sort of like you're doing a film, which is you lead up to the climax of where this is all going. And so and they've had weeks to do that. So I think they probably know uh, where it's going and they know what they're sitting on. So I, I don't think that it's the, the biggest bombshells are in front. Although the admission of the shadow bands where you actually see Twitter's dashboard, I think is a pretty big deal. It's not just them saying it. it's, hey, look, they they actually have tags like do not amplify, uh, trend blacklist and, and all of this stuff. And so you can point right to it and go, yeah, see, I guess that that's what they're doing. And Charlie Kirk or someone like me or whatever, or Dan Bongino is not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is were they actually shadow banning and, and blacklisting and um, hiding accounts of like people like Bhattacharya, who's a Stanford professor, you know, this is not a kook fringe epidemiologist, no matter what Fauci says. And so that's I think that that's probably where this is going to go. So, like I said, it looks to me they're doing things chronologically. They'll get to January 6th and then they'll get into the weeds of was anyone in the Biden administration coordinating, especially Jen Psaki or Ron Klain, coordinating with Twitter to ban accounts kick off accounts, shadow ban accounts, or even like medical professionals or what have you. I think that that's probably. Yeah, just the only thing I kind of wonder what your thoughts are on is obviously Trump said the Constitution's ridiculous and get rid of it after the first stop. I'm not on true social. I will never be because that is insane. But he doesn't seem to have said anything that was amplified by journalists that just essentially repost what he says. It's kind of weird that he's been silent ever since then. After that, do you think it's him getting ready to minimize damage for what he already said in terms of 24 or he knows what's going to come and then he's going to say something even more ridiculous. I don't know. Um, I, I don't even, I don't know. I don't pay attention to truth. The only time I ever see anything he posts is when journalists post it to Twitter, which is ironic considering they did, you know, they tried for weeks and months to just get him off Twitter just so they can show you what he's saying on true social. Um, and so, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I think what's, you know, if, if I had to predict, I think Trump will probably come back to Twitter sometime if he starts to see polling start to crater because he, he sees the audience and he sees the user base and he, you know, so maybe then, but uh, for now it's maybe he has people who are like just telling him to shut the fuck up until this, all of this stuff passes, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who listens to that anyway. So uh, I, I honestly don't know what's going through that dude's melon right now. There's stories about him being isolated and walls closing. And it's just like, I've been reading that shit for five years. So that doesn't interest me either. Yeah, same thing. I just thought that was weird that he just went radio silent after saying the most one of the most insane things he ever said. So, appreciate. Oh it. no, he'll he'll say something and he'll say something else. 
Uh, oh, one of the last tweets. Thanks, Jay. If you just want to mute, and I'll I'll kick you off. But um, Tybee has a tweet thread. Like I said, I didn't want to go too much into this. Um, but he said January Sunday Twitter will be receiving plaudits from quote our partners in Washington, and the sitting U.S. president will no longer be heard on the platform. So whatever that means. Uh, I brought Joe Simonson up. Uh, I worked with Joe over at Heat Street way back in the the, the quieter, simpler days. Uh, he's also now a reporter for Free Beacon. So I would hope that he's here on official business. But uh, I thought I'd bring Joe up. I want to hear what Joe is talking about while he's probably uh, stoned here in D.C. on a Friday night. Joe, welcome. Mute button is right down there on the left. Don't make me kick you. Joe, we're, we're professionals around here. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna have to boot you here. Jesus, does the free beacon know you're you're behaving this way? This is unprofessional. I'm gonna, I'm sending this to Alana. I'm gonna screenshot this. I'm gonna say Joe doesn't know how to use a mute button. Whatever. Maybe he put his phone down. I don't know. Joe, jump back in the queue. How embarrassing! How embarrassing for the free. Be- Odd. Uh, Craig, go ahead. And then uh, I'll probably just go in order here. Zach, Stephen, Jacqueline, Ashanti. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to file a complaint with Lana. I'm, fa- I'm just going to get her a DM and just be like, what's going on with the unprofessional behavior of your reporters? Just wasting my time. What's going on, Miller? You sound like shit. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel fine my voice is just gone just because i just recorded for three four hours yesterday uh, and i did call in last night and that got kind of rambunctious okay <laughs> and then i woke up today that. and i woke up today and i had the scratchy throat my voice was gone I, I took a rona test i'm rona negative so that's the plus but no i feel fine it's just okay um it's just one of those it's one of those news cycles where i have to talk a lot because that's what i'm apparently paid to do and dan <laughs> well, you do a good job of it. Uh, I just want to first say that your uh, procedural innuendos about our lovely independent senator of Arizona are quite clever. Don't think we don't pick up on I'm that. Not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it, I just, let's see about Jack Dorsey. Is there a moment this guy? Has has opened his noisemaker and and not lied about the procedures going on underneath him at Twitter. I mean, you know, we we always we were kind of under this impression there for a minute that he didn't know what was going on. Uh, so it sounds like he knows what was going. He knew what was going on. He was in the meetings. Uh, I mean, and you know, you lied in front of Congress. and Musk have both said that like he was a part time CEO. I mean, people forget like the last year. He was like off in India getting his chakras bleached through his anus or something. I don't know, like doing Aaron Rodgers shit. Yeah, I think he so, he ran away after he figured out. Oh shit, I, I probably know way too much. I need to go and, and play pretend that I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think it's just more he lost interest in it. I think he lost his taste. Um, Taibi doesn't paint a very flattering portrait about what's going on at no. Twitter, where Bajaya Gad and Yul Roth kind of went behind his back on stuff and he's not, he doesn't seem like a kind of strong enough personality to where he would fire people or take people like that on because you're, you're talking yeah, about a, a guy who turned his company over to D Ray McKesson and Nita Sarkeesian. 
And that's, that starts the long domino process of how. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely exhibits the, the squishy personality where he would just he would just let things get out of control because he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, and so, uh, but what else has been going on here uh, besides the the whole drop? I mean, what, what do you think about, about cinema changing, though? I mean, is that going to, you know, put them on? You know, obviously, the way they're reacting to it is kind of a way of saying, well, gosh, I wonder why she did change the way y'all are talking to her. Um, but will that have a a bigger effect or is it just going to stay the same? It's just a title thing. What do you think? I think it's probably the same. I also think she probably looks at the groundwork in Arizona. She probably looked at vote tallies and said the state's leaning purple, even though, you know, it went for, uh, Oh God, what's her name? Katie Hobbs and that such, but the polling pretty much suggested that it's a purplish state. They just didn't like Carrie Lake for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to get a primary challenge anyway. And so I don't know. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But like I said, I think it's about her consolidating power. She knows that she's much more influential and she knows that she's, you know, for all of the shit that she takes, I think that she's fine with it. She likes kind of being talked about and she knows that, hey, if I'm this similar to Mansion, where it's like, if I'm just, if I'm just an automatic, you know, a Fetterneck vote, like, hey! then I don't really have, I can't, I don't wield influence and power like I can in Washington. And so if she's the 51st vote on everything, they're going to kiss her ass, probably quite literally, um, on basically how do we get our shit done? And I think she understands that. And I think that that's pretty much what she's doing. She's going to, she's not caucusing with Republicans. She's probably not going to change, although she might heading into 2024. That would be interesting. Um, because really, think you think that, that's I a think chance? A guy, Ru, a, Ru, a guy named Ruben Gallego is the far left progressive, and he's already amassing a war chest, and he has the far left support and all of that stuff. Um, ah, so okay. maybe that's what it is. She's avoiding the primary just to take him on in a general. But I think it's mostly about her consolidating power. She knows she's way more influential in her position now than she would be as just an automatic. Right. Oh, I see that. All right, then. Well, it was good talking to you again. I hope you take care, and I hope your voice gets better, bro. Uh, we'll find out by tomorrow. <laughs> I will. We'll hear from you then. All right. Thanks, Craig. Good to hear from you. All right, bro. Bye-bye. <clears throat> uh, Zach, go ahead. I'm going to probably eh, – we're doing okay here, so we're – I did, um, I did give Joe Simon some shit to get back in the queue, by the way. I told him he's embarrassing his employer. Yeah, and it's even worse than you say, because when you pull us in as the active caller, there's a big pop-up in the middle of the screen that says, you are now the active caller, uh, and it has like a big oh, red... Oh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that's what they do. Yeah, so it, it's... I mean, Steve... Wake up, asshole. This button. Yeah. Uh, my roommate just heard me say the Stevie Wonder just But um I was actually I was going through the, the Twitter dumps and I'd also been following the lawsuit out of Louisiana and you see that there are some things lining up. There's an um an FBI agent who was stationed in San Francisco and he was having weekly meetings with the tech companies to 
basically discuss what information was on the platform. And he even, in his deposition, admitted that they had threatened these companies, you know, not not directly, like, if you don't do this, we're going to blah, blah, blah. But it was, you know, you have the FBI sitting across from you and they're going, you should really do this, don't you think? Wink, wink, nod, nod. And so it, even in his deposition, he basically implied that they had threatened um, Twitter and Facebook and others to censor the information, like the Hunter Biden story and others that they didn't like. Yeah, I haven't read. I've I've read a good chunk of the Fauci uh, testimony, which I'm probably going to go over more in a piece. Um, but yeah, this lawsuit is, is going to be really interesting. And like I said, I'm more interested to see what Saki says during this whole thing. She's probably just going to claim ignorance, but that'll be telling in and of itself. And like you said, it does look like there's there's bigger things lining up other than just that this is Taibbi and Barry Weiss revealing information. And so um, do, do I think like criminal charges come out of this? Probably not. Um, but it will be used in congressional hearings. There will be hearings on this stuff, whether there should be or not, or people are going to use it to grandstand about shadow bannings and whatever. Yeah, that's probably what's going to happen and because that's what always happens and nothing will really get solved. Um, but kind of going back to what Jay said, um, I kind of think that the majority, I think the majority of the action has already been taken. Yul Roth is not in Twitter anymore and he can go on as many fucking press tours as he wants and bitch and moan to Kara Swisher, all of you, all that he wants. But as long as mainstream journals like Kara Swisher or the Washington Post hypochondriac or, uh, you know, Kevin Ruse or at the New York Times or, Charlie Barzell or, you know, the whole tech reporter crew that just kind of sits there and smarms at what Taibbi and Weiss are doing. Um, the longer that they ignore this, just the worse they look. So probably we'll get a big, long breakdown in the Atlantic or the New York Times about why this doesn't matter. And this is just content moderation or it's just dick pics. But the way that they just kind of blow it off is really telling based on just the amount of attention it's getting. Like if you're a journalist, you should be reporting on this or at the very least be reporting on what Taibbi and Weiss are writing about. And then you should be contemplating why are they the ones reporting on this while you just like sat back and listened to your friends at Twitter, like Yoel Roth. And that's, that to me is the most revealing thing about this. Roth clearly had contacts in all of the media. He was clearly juicing them and they all went along with it. We saw this with how many of these stories from 2018 just wrote this off as all a conspiracy just because Twitter said so. They said Twitter came out and denied this. Oh, well, we're satisfied. Like, why didn't you look into it yourselves? Well, we know why, because Vajaya Gad and Yul Roth and those guys were all their contacts. And so you are right in the sense of this lawsuit in uh, Louisiana is something to be watched. And it's not being watched close enough, I think, by parties on the right um, which is why I kind of went through and I combed through Fauci's testimony, but I haven't seen too many people like doing that, like going through and saying, Hey, th this is weird how this part doesn't line up. And he forgets the name of like, what are the most famous virologists in the world that he's supposed to know? And he, he just, you know, can't tell if her first name and her last name are the same because he gets confused by Asian names and that just slips by everyone. And so I didn't know that much about the, the FBI agent station there. But again, yeah, you're right. That's all going to kind of come out. And 
yeah, I mean, it's bigger than just Slack messages that Taibis put. Well, um, yes, but this this goes back to uh, Jim Baker, who was apparently vetting uh, some of this before it was released. And, you know, I don't know if we'll ever know for sure how much of the FBI influence in Twitter there really was if Baker was intercepting this stuff and deleting it before it got to the reporters. But um, that lawsuit in, in Louisiana, like everybody was really interested in Fauci's testimony where apparently he can't remember anything. Um, but there have been other depositions, uh, mainly the FBI agent, his name is Elvis Chan, and you can look him up if you want to want an example of of honest FBI work that have been frankly more more enlightening. Uh, Fauci just kind of did the same thing he always does. Well, gee, I don't know. I don't know. I think it came from a batch ass. I think. Yeah, he said I don't recall over like a hundred ninety times, and. It's not that he says it. I mean, everyone knows why you say that in a deposition. It's either not going to incriminate you or your parties or whatever. But there's definitely times where he gets stuck where he says he doesn't recall something, but then he recalls something that happened right before or after that. And then he, when he's cornered on that, he goes back to saying, oh, I don't recall. There was an interesting exchange where he says that he might have emailed himself something, like an article, and the, and the uh, attorney, the attorney questioning him goes, do you do that often? Do you, do you send, uh, do you send work-related material to your private email? And he goes, Oh, I can't recall. I don't do that. Like literally it's almost like a Coen brothers movie. It's like, you know, it's like Steve Martin and dirty rotten or dirty rotten scandals getting hit with the whip. And he's just like, I can't feel anything. And that's kind of, it's a, it's a hilarious exchange where Fauci just lets it slip and the attorney catches it. He's like, oh, do you, he goes, do you do that often? Do you email yourself work materials? And he goes, oh, rarely. I don't, I can't recall. I don't think I do that at all. It, it's so funny to just read. And I had to stop because I was just doing other stuff and I was going to end up spending all night reading it. But I'm, I'm like basically 180 pages into like a 400 page, seven hour deposition. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot that's going to come out of this. This will be a bigger story here in the spring or the fall when the households hearings. And as I noted, uh, I'm going to have a piece coming to Newsweek. Uh, I don't know exactly when, but it's written and it's submitted. And uh, it's basically about telling Congress, you need to be precise when you question him. He's good at worming out of things because he treats you like an idiot, like you don't know what you're talking about. So you need to learn his terminology. You need to learn what gain of function means. You need to learn what dual use of concern means. You have to go and you have to learn every precise little thing or else he goes, I don't understand the question because I don't understand what you're talking about. Like he treats you stupid. It's one of his uh, semantical verbal tics that he does. And so um, I do have that piece written and that will probably be out closer as, as we know more about hearings. But um, yeah, that, that story will gain steam probably in the spring of next year or in the summer when those those hearings start um like i agree with you except in one regard uh before i was an accountant i was a biology teacher 
and he does the same thing that students would do when you would catch them cheating. And you ask them a point blank question and they worm around, they worm around until you ask them the same question, they worm around. And like, I don't blame Rand Paul for getting mad and yelling at him because I've had students sitting in my office and when I'm asking them, I'm like, okay, you turn this in supposedly about my research, but you've listed the wrong gene. I didn't research this gene. Someone else did the semester before me. Like, where did you get this? You know, and of course, you know exactly where they got it, but they go, well, I, I, I mean, I was listening to your talk and I tried to find a summary online. It's like, no, like, so I understand what you're saying. And I also understand the reaction to want to jump across the table and just slap him in the face and be like, motherfucker, do you, do you not understand what I'm asking you? Uh, yeah. And that's my, my hope is that again, in hearings that house members, which it looks like that's where they will be conducted. Um, I hope upon hope, and I know I'll be let down that they, they use an opportunity to actually learn something and study him and listen to him as opposed to getting sound bites out there for constituents in Fox news. So Zach, I'll give you a, one last. Yeah. So, uh, I do understand your frustration, but I've been on the other side asking the questions and, and I've, I've seen people wiggle, but um, I don't really have a whole lot. I mean, the Twitter files are basically showing us what you were labeled a conspiracy theorist and banned for just two short years ago. Uh, it's at the point with conspiracy theories that I fully suspect Elvis is alive and was kidnapped by aliens now. So I'll talk to you later. All right. Uh, yeah. Elvis is alive. Um, <laughs> uh, Steven, you're up. Go ahead. Hi, Steven. Um, continuing about Fauci in the hearings. Um, one person that I would like to see involved, I don't even know if this is possible, but Alina Chan, or Chan, I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, that is somebody who probably knows just about as much as possible involving him and all the origin stuff. But uh, yeah, he's he's really hard to get around because he just, oh, gee, I can't remember. I don't recall. But um, one question that he should really be asked about, um, some of those uh, Freedom of Information Acts that have come out with his emails, like right before that, like critical February fourth date where they had that telephone call, he was getting emails from like some students and like these high level professors who ended up being in some of his future meetings. Uh, Kristen Anderson and uh, Jeremy Farrar, I think, was his name. I might have that. No, wrong, yeah, but, Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Farrar is going to be a name you're going to hear more about. Hundred percent guarantee. Right. So, yeah, some of them are like, I'm leaning 70-30 lab or I'm leaning 60-40 lab. <clears throat> and they say, like, they mentioned the uh, fur and cleavage site and that, like, the genetic makeup, they're like, uh, I, I think one of the words in the emails is like the nucleotides and amino acid combination would be simply like a one in like three billion chance. And then Fauci's going around on these, like, media tours. and He's like, the molecular makeup simply points to a natural origin 
And like, if you look at those emails, they clearly don't think so. But that's just one thing I'm hoping to see with him. Uh, I'll let you speak on that real quick. And I just want to get to Twitter after that real quick. Um, the, uh, the questioner, the attorney questioning him, the state's AG questioning him, lays out a very definitive timeline that questions <clears throat> where you had Christian Anderson and, and a few others basically point to the protein spikes of the SARS-V2 virus, the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus. And they basically just say, this this looks engineered. Like this does not look like a natural zoonotic virus that came from a wet market or made a jump from, anim- from a pangolin's asshole to the humans or whatever. This looks engineered. And upon that email, Fauci says, okay, thank you. He basically says, okay, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but he basically says, okay, thank you. Let's convene a larger group tomorrow. And there's this two-day period here where this, these are where the most questions uh, hinge around this whole thing. So they call in a, it's like a Zoom conference or a teleconference, and they bring in a larger group of epidemiologists, virologists, all these people. But also in that meeting is Peter Dotchik from Echo Health Alliance, who we know is receiving uh, direct money and IDA for bat research in China. And Echo Health was basically the third party transferring bats to the Wuhan lab. And <clears throat> there's reports of even workers um, getting pneumonic symptoms while in the field, but that's not confirmed. And so there's a huge teleconference. We don't know what is said during that because there's no record of it or there's nothing on, there's no notes or minutes or anything. Although I'm sure if there are, those will be free of information or subpoenaed. And it, during this larger conference, Anderson and I forget his, not the partner, but the other, the other source that backed him up, repeat that. They repeat that supposedly through sources that this looks manipulated. Well, during that, after that conference hangs up, Fauci, Francis Collins, Jimmy Farrar uh, say, we need to have a smaller group meeting. And that that's officially an email. And then Fauci says when he was asked, he says he can't remember if that actually happened. So what and then we do know that this meeting did probably happen. And out of that meeting then came the idea that Christian Anderson was wrong. He was kind of cuckoo that this does look zoonotic, et cetera, et cetera. And for them to just kind of spin on that real fast. I mean, what it looks like to me is it looks like that. Anderson came forward and said, this looks like a man-made virus in a lab in Wuhan that somehow gets out, somebody gets infected or uh, whatever, and then they walk out of the lab and cough in a crowd or what have you, and off we're off and running. And then it looks like in this larger conference that involved uh, Dachik, and Dachik later thanks Fauci for saying, thank you for backing us up on the zoonotic origins of this virus. And it looks like in the larger conference, some things might be said that suggests that this is a, a man-made, science-made catastrophe. And then it's in the smaller group that includes Fauci, Collins, Jimmy Farrar, where they agree that, holy shit, this looks really fucking bad and this can't get out. Because if it gets out that we caused, not we caused this, but that science caused it and that research caused it, and oh, grant money to Wuhan caused this and Echo Health Alliance caused this, um, there's going he- to be hell to pay. Heads are going to roll. And I think that that's when they decided that we need to push the zoonotic origin of this, even to the point to where Francis Collins ghost authored a paper pushing the zoonotic origin. And then he pushed it out and said, see, even these people say that it's a zoonotic origin. And then we learned that uh, it was ghost written by people at the NIH. A lot of shady shit. Now, 
does that confirm or deny anything? No, because we don't know. And you have to still stay skeptical with this stuff. But it was in those meetings where Fauci said he doesn't recall anything and he doesn't even recall the smaller meeting happened, even though we kind of know that it did. And so I think that that was the meeting. If just my personal humble opinion, that's the meeting where they decided uh, we have to at least cover this up or discredit the lab leak theory, because if they do, it's going to push scientific research back. And all, by the way, we're going to be blamed for the deaths of millions of people, um, which, of course, would be very bad for Anthony Fauci and his years long legacy, um, as well as Francis Collins, who has a pretty you know big reputation on the political right as well. And so I, I think that that's what it looks like. But again, reading his testimony, he's just I can't recall a million things. He goes from being the smartest guy in the world who knows everything about this virus and everything about the pandemic and everything about what we should and should not be doing. And then you put him under oath and all of a sudden he can't remember uh, that his daughter. Even- so um, and this kind of leads into the next part um, with the Twitter files. Uh, you have Matt Taibbi, Weiss, you know, like you said, they're kind of going like a chronological order here. Well, there's some like key dates. um that come into play here and uh with Fauci so um you know Zero Hedge is the first one to post about like COVID came from the Wuhan lab like this was like early February 2020 um they got suspended for a while they got back but uh what I was going to say is one thing that uh with the Twitter files like this looks terrible like all the censorship stuff um I can't believe you're making me look at Charlie Kirk uh, you know, I, I watch Tucker sometimes in the morning on YouTube just to like see what he's saying and stuff. Had Charlie Kirk on last night, and I'm and what I don't recall the exact thing that Kirk said, but I'm like I can't believe Twitter is going to make me say yeah Charlie Kirk is right here. But um, you know, so they put that do not amplify tag on him, right? So like, are they amplifying JoJo from Jers and these other people, and like, are they not amplifying um? Are they putting that tag on, like, Republican candidates or, like, Ron DeSantis? Um, And my reason for bringing up DeSantis is uh, when he had that roundtable, it was in April 2021, I believe it was with Bhattacharya, too. And I don't know the other two uh, epidemiologist names, the one from Harvard and Oxford, but uh, YouTube pulls that off. And this whole thing with Twitter just makes you realize that like we knew this was happening, but it's also happening in other places. But Twitter is Biden's administration's like favorite place to use it. But um, yeah, did any? But did anybody pressure Facebook or YouTube to pull down? You know, uh, competing medical theories, which is in the field of medical. There, I mean, there's things that are known and there's things that practice, but there are th- competing theories about things like how to control viruses, how to control spreads. Do you use mitigation? Uh, do you let it burn through? And that was kind of the whole point of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was... Um, if you mind, through. step in real quick. Sorry. Yeah, um, go ahead. I, this is, I wanted to mention this too. I just kind of forgot. Um, uh, along with this like censorship stuff in the Great Barrington Declaration, which uh, Bhattacharya is famous for, um, these people act like the best way to beat speech from the from other sides that challenge them is just censoring it. And we all know that 
if you want to really beat somebody in speech, the answer is like more speech and better speech. Like if you want to say that Donald Trump shouldn't be ripping the Constitution apart, then you should be saying that and not censoring like his account, taking it down. Like, yeah, that's insane. So let's ridicule him to that, that it's insane. But the thing with the Great Barrington Declaration is uh, Fauci even had an email to Collins and somebody else and was like, we need a swift takedown of this, uh, like the second it came out. So that's that's their only response is just to ban it. We can't we're wrong and they're going to challenge us and they might be right. Certainly looks that way. And Stephen, think I'm going to try to move move on from Jack. I mean. That to me is the next question is, we know Twitter was de-boosting accounts. So were they were they boosting certain other accounts and were they doing it under the guise of politics? And that's something we still don't have an answer to. We haven't seen much reporting on that, but that might be coming. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you, you saw, and, and Stephen was right about this email from Fauci Collins basically saying, we need to, we need to snuff this out. And, but basically the, the Great Barrington Declaration was the opposite of lockdown. It was, you need to let this, you need to isolate vulnerable populations, which we know is the elderly and immunocompromised or um, other medical conditions like diabetes or whatever. And then you just let it burn through the regular population. And that was basically a threat to what Fauci was pushing. And we also know Fauci and Biden, their vaccine mandate never really took natural immunity into consideration. And so that's another question for him. Uh, I know Rand Paul has pushed that, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to answer. And that does tie into what we're seeing on the Twitter files with, Again, I think that that's all coming. I think COVID policy is going to be kind of a good drop. Uh, Jacqueline, go ahead. I'm going to try to get through and wrap up with Sheila. Okay. Um, yeah. Pretty much, I, like, I tried to call in uh, the other day about the whole Brittany Griner thing. And I think you're, like, yeah, like, you're, you're right about all, like, the politics and the journalisming that was going to happen with that because nobody's talking about you know Wheelan still being over there no like the story just felt like it was a big story for like less than a day the new york the new york and times was, credited like, the power of the wnba for getting britney griner out in the fan base yeah yeah, it, it was yeah, it was like a story for less than a day. It was ridiculous and that what we traded for, like we should have every single American that's in Russia if you're gonna trade for the merchant of death. But we got one person that no one even knows about and we traded the merchant of death for this one person no one ever watches, no one ever sees, and that was ridiculous. The other thing I was going to say about the whole Twitter files, I saw that Tybee just came out with Twitter um, Breakdown 3.0, so I haven't read it yet, because I saw Barry's yesterday, and then Matt's original one. So I still have to go through Matt's third one. But 
it's just amazing how much like we all knew and we were called that we were crazy for saying exactly what the files are saying. Yeah, it's not it's not often that like you say, everything every single kooky is coming true and that's you know why I've kind of just backed off assuming anything and I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna like, oh God, we're we're probably gonna just have a smoking gun email from Fauci being like, you know, yeah, ban everybody um at this point. And so that's like I said, it's one thing to be sitting here, you know, thinking you're shadow banned or throttled for years or months or whatever. And then to actually like get to a point to where Twitter is purchased, Elon Musk is like, here are the files. And then it's like, oh, yep, here it is. Here's what their dashboard looks like. And here are the tags and here's what they're doing. And again, to have all of that confirmed, it's just kind of like, I mean, we told you so. And a, an honest journalism, whether it's on exists on the corporate right or the corporate left, would acknowledge that. And instead, they're just saying, this is no big deal. Well, I guarantee you that the story is probably going to be around a lot longer than anything currently at the New York Times. So uh, that that would be my thing. This is going to be a Oh, speaking of this, this is still going to go on for, you know, a few weeks, I think. Barry Weiss is, I guess, doing it another drop on Sunday, which good, good for me. Um, but probably you're going to be looking at, you know, uh, one one small drop a week to just kind of. But speaking of the New York Times, did they get their money that they wanted? Oh, I don't know. I know that they did their symbolic daily strike. And then, like, the, <laughs> yeah, their first story back was about, you know, the power of the WNBA bringing home Brittany Griner. And it's like, actually, no, that's the power of the Saudi Arabia MBS who did that. All right. Last thing, and I'll let you get on to the next caller. But, um,. How many World Cup games have you been watching? I haven't watched any of the World Cup at all. <laughs> I haven't watched. I think I had, I, I had like the U.S. Netherlands game on in the background and the, on the Spanish language. Then I muted it, but I was doing so much other stuff. I couldn't even tell you that I stopped to watch any of it. So it's not interesting. Well, I might you, watch the. You, I might watch the final. That maybe if it's you missed. You missed some good football today. I seriously football. doubt that. I highly <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good one. I'm glad and, you're enjoying uh, it. I'm glad you're enjoying it, though. That's what I'll say. All right. I'll send, I'll send you off to the next one. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Jacqueline. Uh, we'll get to Sheila to wrap things up. Go ahead, Ashanti. Hi. Um. So I, I work in a, in a big e-commerce site for many years. Um, while I don't have, you know, the expertise of, say, Tom Nichols, obviously, um, I, uh, I, I've, I've seen a few things. And, you know, looking at the tools, the screenshots, like, those are all, like, you know, legitimate tools that, like, probably needed to get built. Um, any kind of site with any scale is going to be overrun with spammers and scammers and, you know, fake reviews and all kinds of, all kinds of scams. And, it, but it looks like, you know, the engineers built that stuff in good faith. And then the parasites like Yale Roth or whatever the lawyer's name is, you know, showed up and, Oh, what do we have? Ah. Um, and it's interesting now how journalists are kind of conflating this. Like, Oh, well, of course they were doing that stuff. They had the, you know, 
they had to protect users and sort of just completely ignoring the like you know conflict between like we don't uh we don't suppress visibility based on politics um and 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 what they were you know what they were actually doing by pretending it was some kind of like spam control or enhancing the conversation and you know your previous one of your previous callers mentioned um jojo from jurors and you know there's like thousands of these resistance grifters i'm i'm I, you know i guess what i'm saying is you could make the case that like suppressing you know charlie kirk and dan boingo and some of these other knuckleheads enhances the conversation what i'm really hoping um they get to in the files is to answer the question okay were any of these left-wing people who are just as awful did any of them ever get de-boosted or shadow banned or suppressed or flagged or any of it i'm willing to bet the answer is none that that never happened um i hope that um you know i hope this doesn't like you know, Musk doesn't get bored of this, right? That he that they keeps feeding them stuff because there's like a there, there's you know years of discussions that these journalists could go through. One like minor thing I'm curious about: all these Antifa accounts, right, didn't get banned until Musk, Musk took over. These were people who like were pretty clearly in, encouraging violence, right? Show show up for the direct action. And then the direct action would inevitably be some kind of a riot, right? Yeah, building it was a right wing. Yeah. yeah, right? Like, years went on. There used to be all these parody Antifa accounts. There was Beverly Hills Antifa or whatever. Those all got banned on various pretexts, right? Parody accounts of Antifa. Now, like, that tells me something, right? That, like, you couldn't handle people making fun of Antifa but you you were protecting their accounts. And so I'm hoping that, like, you know, Weiss and the rest are able to go through that whole stack. I'm sure there's just years of crap like that and that they're able to keep digging and um, publishing it because I'm really – it's going to be enjoyable as each new batch comes out watching journalists squirm as it contradicts what they said yesterday. Um, so, you know – Fun times. Yeah, I think Musk is more, I think they're more preoccupied with was there government collusion influencing Twitter than they are just simply was Twitter allowing Antifa accounts on. Now, I mean, there maybe, but I think what you're seeing and what you're seeing them hint at more and more is was there government pressure put on Twitter or was Twitter acting as a partnership with the federal government and intelligence agencies and DHS to suppress content based on disagreeable information. And I threw that term out there today on the podcast, which is there's disinformation, but then there's disagreeable information. And that's kind of the problem. They couldn't justify banning libs of TikTok is libs of TikTok was simply posting public videos. And then they try to form it around the idea that, Oh, you're targeting them. Well, no, I'm not. I'm posting a public video. And their attitude is, well, by doing that to your audience, which is a hostile audience and a dangerous audience, um, you're targeting those and you're going to get those people killed or whatever. And the response to that should just be, no, I'm posting, a, I'm posting a public video. What's the fucking problem? Your issue should be with them. Post, maybe make their videos private and not me. And so to me, it looks like they're more concentrated on, because if you go back with Taibbi, Taibbi's always kind of been about the relationship between Wall Street and the government and intelligence agencies and et cetera. And I think that that's where Elon Musk's interest lies well. And so I think that that's what they're trying to maybe show more of. And 
as we get more and more down the road, especially into COVID and how they used kind of broad COVID uh, measures to just start shadow banning anybody, basically. And that could be yours truly, although I'm I'm pretty anodyne when it comes to COVID stuff. Um, maybe it was because I endorsed the trucker rally in Canada or something. I don't know. Um, but I think that that's more of their focus. Uh, one, one of the interesting things you talk about, like the JoJo and Jers and Rupar and all of those those wizard chess group of Brooklyn dad had a trip. They went to the white house just like what a month ago, right prior to the ownership sale. And basically, you know, Klain took them out and they were all rewarded with a great visit. And there was Brooklyn dad. It was, it was just the who's who of the motley crew of uh, Twitter resistance folks. And I guess my other question is um, forget about like being de-boosted like Charlie Kirk or Bongino or whatever, did were any of those accounts boosted at the request of Ron Klain or the White House? Like that's another question I have. I'm I'm basically falling in. Did did the Biden administration or anyone in the federal government pressure Twitter one way or the other here? And or was Twitter a willing partner in basically saying, okay, yes, you know, Rex Chapman and Aaron Rupar, we will boost these accounts at your request because they're pushing out the right material. That to me is, is becomes a bigger question. Not so much was Twitter doing it on their own, um, which they possibly could have been. We don't know. It's was there any White House involvement with Twitter to push narratives that favored the Biden administration? Um, because we saw that this is an administration that is largely governed by what they see on Twitter. And, and they believe it's a, especially Jen Psaki and Ron Klain. Um, who believe that this is the biggest communication tool that their administration has. Well, not anymore. You don't have it anymore. Um, and so that's more information that I'm curious about seeing. Where Did Ron Klain have communications with anyone at Twitter and say, hey, we, we really like what this person's saying. Could you, you mind giving this some exposure and trends? And the reason I ask that is because I had to be reminded that Kyle Griffin existed. Like, I, didn't, I haven't seen a Kyle Griffin tweet in my feed in a month. And there's a few other of those accounts. I've never followed JoJo from Jersey. I have no idea who that person is or what their gimmick is. Um, and I know like Jeff Tiedrich's another one. And a few of those have blocked me. But like Aaron Rupar, I barely see in my feed. I don't see Rex Chapman anymore. I don't see Lincoln Project tweets. I don't see Bulwark tweets. None of those things. And it's interesting to me that my feed went from seeing almost exclusively that content to now not seeing any of it to the point to where I have to go, oh, yeah, it's that Kyle Griffin guy. Um, and so that those are my questions heading down the line. I don't so much. I, I get what you mean about Antifa accounts getting banned or unbanned. And I think that that's important. But I'm much more interested in the partnership or the collusion between government agencies, whether it be Rachel Walensky, Anthony Fauci, the CDC, the NIH, the Department of Homeland Security, Nina Jankowicz, uh, Ron Klain, Susan Rice, Jen Psaki the White House comms department, uh, were they, was Twitter a willing partner in help pushing out what the White House told them to in any form or another? Um, because that's kind of what, you know, Taibbi's thread tonight is about. It's not so much about banning Trump. It's about exposing the, re the relationship between the intelligence state and Twitter as a willing partner. And Yoel Roth in particular is sitting here saying, oh yeah, I'm meeting with not the FBI, um, and of course, we don't know what they're talking about. We don't know if they are talking about possible terror threats or anything like that. Um, but 
you know, it doesn't look good that this is supposed to be a private independent company beholden, well, at first a public company beholden to shareholders, and they're making decisions based on what the FBI is telling them. So that to me is where the interest lies. And like you said, if Charlie, if Charlie Kirk wants to wear the cross of being a proven shadow band for the next 30 years, well, you guys earned it. So you guys elevated that knuckle fuck. And now he's going to just he's going to go around the country collecting millions of dollars. And you guys deserve every single ounce of whatever you get shoved down your throat from him. Right. So, well, so, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's disturbing to think that the government, uh, various agencies or whoever put pressure on a private company to manipulate uh, what people see. It's kind of disturbing in a different way, though, if they did it without needing to be told to, right? If it was just that that's just the culture of big Which is tech. what we saw with the Hunter Biden laptop. We didn't see a ton of government yeah. interference. Yeah, they like just, They just, based on meetings with the FBI, just went, oh, here it is, ban it. And it was like... So I, I, I can see your point that, yeah, like, it's definitely worse if the government was telling them, but it's like, it's disturbing in a different way. And I'm sort of also interested in that. If, if they were just doing this because that's just the culture there and, you know... It's harder. It's harder to fix that. Uh, well, certainly on larger platforms with Facebook, YouTube, etc. But uh, I mean, to me, it looks like the culture is pretty much getting fixed inside of Twitter, and maybe Facebook and YouTube go along with this and say, "Holy shit!" I mean, this could end up happening to us. So maybe it's time to just be a little bit more transparent and not so politically driven. So uh, I, I mean, I don't know. That's this is part of this kind of bold new world that we're in we've never seen anything like this we've never seen you know an independently minded driven billionaire come in and just be like yep we're gonna have more free speech whatever and then the reaction to more free speech has been oh well there's more hate speech and anti-semitism and all of the stuff uh that's been the target and that just shows you kind of how there's this anti-liberal attitude amongst corporate journalists now um in particular and that's why it's also going to be interesting to see, you know, what Barry Weiss's new endeavor entails and who she brings in for that. So, uh, Shanti, I'm going to go ahead and move on to Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I'm good. Hey, Steve. Yep, you're there. Go ahead. Cool. Yeah, so I've been diving into a Tybee's thread tonight. And uh, the one bad thing is I think we're uh, gearing up for another second wind of uh election fraud enthusiasm so that's the one downside i think uh but um, uh like how mean you mean like with trump or whatever well with uh, you know the election was rigged because twitter was doing its thing and and suppressing accounts and yeah but i don't know how much ap- i don't know how much appetite people have for that that's if you're going to if you're going to fire off your guns on mass election fraud, you better have a really good case for it. And when you when you shout it incessantly for three years, people just end up doing what I do, which is roll my eyes. Hopefully, hopefully. Hey, so the one of the uh, things that struck me about this thread was I just when you look at the Slack channels, you just get this sort of juvenile like treehouse vibe with these executives where they're just kind of you know tee hee we can't we can't ban the account but we can bounce the tweet and it's just it's such a it's such a 
puerile uh, uh, sort of culture that they had. And it kind of mimics what the, what the journalists are like, where they, you know, they, they see this stuff come out and they uh, talk about, you know, oh, he's just running PR for the, the billionaire and, and things like that. So it's a combination of like group think you could say, and just, just a, a really immature uh, uh, approach to how they're moderating. Content. It's a, we're not, it's an attitude it's like, of, we're not going to get caught. We can do whatever we want because yeah. no one's ever going to buy this company from a book. And then it's like, oh, shit. Like, not only did they buy the company, they now control all of the Slack messages and information and emails in the archive. And Musk can 100% absolutely do anything that he wants with them. And that's why you saw the reaction you saw in the early days. And that's why, you know... Roth basically looks like it sounded like he tried to hold on there. And even Elon Musk was like, Hey, I think his heart's in the right place. Um, I mean, my complaint, I guess, is especially with the Slack channels is Taibi is blacking out names and photos. And part of me wonders is if people are still employed at Twitter. And that was an agreement where Musk told Taibi, Hey, I don't want this person doxxed because I need them or whatever. I'm willing to bet. <clears throat> because Jack and Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk have a relatively good relationship. You've seen them talk more and Jack's endorsed Elon Musk's direction. Although they're having a lover's quarrel over child sexploitation, which is a topic I'm not even getting close to. I'll let, I'll let other people tackle that one. Thank you. Um, and so I'm wondering if Jack Dorsey is in those. And so one of the attacks that you're going to get on this Taibi is, he's exposing Roth and a guy named Conlon and a few others while protecting other people. Now those could be sources who gave him these Slack channels or whatever. Um, so maybe that's sensitive, but I think then they need to explain why you're, you're censoring some of the other names and photos, but not say Yul Roth, because this is going to, this is going to look like a vendetta against Yul Roth real fast. And I guarantee you, he's going to use that. He's going to be all over Kara Swisher's podcast again and saying this is going to put lives in danger and yada, and we get it. Um, but you do not want to run the risk of making this guy out to look sympathetic because he's not a sympathetic figure. He is a petty little fucking tyrant who was enabled with way too much power. And if you go to Wesley Yang's Twitter feed, he goes he goes into like Yul Ross college dissertations where he's talking about, um, you know... <sighs> his experience with grinder for 13 days and, and how he's looking at how to mitigate that. And that included letting on uh, gay use on the grinder and stuff like that. Um, interesting stuff. Not, I don't care about the gay stuff, but it's interesting stuff in how he views social media and how he views the world through social media. And this is a guy who effectively looked like he thought he was running the company because he might've been Jack Dorsey's often fucking, he's in a cave in India somewhere, you know, hanging upside down with bats and running with the wolves or whatever and eating, you know, melons on tables with monkeys and shit. So I don't know, maybe he thought he was running the company and maybe, you know, Jack Dorsey said, Hey, the company's yours until I get back. And then they were like, when are you coming back? And he's like, I'm never coming back. And he's, he's, in, he's entering a Wes Anderson movie or some shit. I don't know. Um, but again, the important thing to me is that that guy is nowhere near the levers of power. And you can tell why the journalists are so aggrieved at this is because he was probably their number one source. Yeah, but it's still beggars belief that somebody was such a, such a simplistic look at how to run a social media company could, could get to that level. Uh, but, um, so I, last thing and then, and I'll let you go, but, um, 
you know, I, I've wondered from day one what Musk's motivations were for buying Twitter. I've never really bought the whole, uh, you know, just public digital town square sort of thing that he's pitched. Um, and and I, I'm getting the, the feeling now that, yeah, he, this is the culmination of the reason he bought Twitter is he wants to be, he wants part of his legacy to be guy who stirred shit up with the government, changed the cultural zeitgeist and, and, uh, you know, really just kind of made things a little uncomfortable for everybody at this point in time. So Poss- that's, that's kind of my possibly, theory, but, but you also have think. to understand he's, he's working with the federal government through SpaceX and Tesla and stuff like that. So it's, it's interesting to me, the treatment he supposedly gets by the Biden administration or, you know, people in power, especially on the political left, you know, calling, calling hearings and stuff. And then it's like, he's also probably a government contractor for them. So that dynamic is interesting. Um, when I listened to his Twitter spaces last weekend and his, he said the reason he bought is he just felt like he needed to. Um, once he kind of had meetings with Parag Agarwal and a few others, it was kind of like he saw the direction, he saw what was going on at Twitter and it was kind of like, this isn't acceptable and this isn't sustainable. So, okay, I guess I'll buy it. And so maybe, I think he sees, he sees Twitter in a different way than they were looking at it. It, especially with what Twitter had become, which was essentially the censorship arm of the progressive elite and democratic party. Um, They, they fully on view Twitter as a tool for that. Um, And they, and they used it as, you know, as a messaging arm for the Biden administration. I think they overvalued it. And especially in media and journalists, Um, journalists, corporate journalists were able to convince Twitter's leadership that you need to basically put us in charge of this app, which is how you got the curation bars and, everything and that's when twitter just kind of almost became unusable in a sense and so i just think elon musk looks at it differently he sees different things for it he sees different possibilities for it um and he he looks at it as a as an integration tool which is you know he's talked about wanting to put in monetary policy and you know pay you know pay direct pay to pay to people encrypting dms encrypting video uh, as well as long form subscriberships. So um, that's all interesting in and of itself. But I also think he knows that in order to move forward and make Twitter profitable, he has to exercise all of the junk. He has to get all of the demons out of it and repair the relationship between the public and Twitter's usership base t- so that they know it's not just catering to a select group of progressive elites, which is basically all it's been doing lately. And so I think that that's part of this. It's it's clean, sweep out the junk, get all, get rid of all the broken glass first, and then look at how we're going to install better windows. And so um, that's just my personal opinion based on listening to him and stuff like that. Um, but that feels like what this is. It feels like that he's trying to repair Twitter's relationship with 50% of the user base. And so uh, whether or not that he accomplishes that, I, I don't know. I don't like the idea, and I said this last night, that they're, they're developing a software that's going to show you all of the tags on your account. So, like, let's, which me personally, I can't wait for. Let me tell you. So, they're going to show me that, hey, my my account is do not amplify or search band or whatever. And then he says, there's going to be an appeal process. And I'm kind of like, why do I have to appeal something that old that older management put on there and you disagree with? How about you just fucking lift the do not amplify shit? Like, why are you going to make me appeal that? Um, and so I hope that that's stuff that 
all gets worked out basically. But for now, I think the Taibi and the, and the Barry Weiss stuff is just strictly about, hey, Twitter did some really sketchy shit. And there's still a lot of people asking good questions about it, whether it's Hunter Biden or COVID policy or uh, banning Donald Trump or, or all of this stuff that we never got an explanation for. It was just we're doing this and that's it, really. And the explanation was always filtered through their friends at The New York Times. And I think that that's what this is. He's basically saying we need to repair we need to repair Twitter before we can move it forward. And that's kind of where it is right now. So. Um, I'll give you one last quick word, Matt, and then I go to Sheila, and then uh, I need to go soak my throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, uh, I I have a tough time seeing all those different avenues for growth with Twitter, but uh, at the same time, I'm not a billionaire, so I'll just leave it at that. And someone who seems to be like a very bored billionaire, like he seems to be like someone who's just like, what what can I do with my money over here? Oh, I'll go get Twitter, and there you have it, so... Um, he is, he is interesting guy. He seems accessible. He goes onto Twitter spaces for four hours last week. And, um, he, he's a hundred percent independent thinker. And I think that, that also, uh, is something they just, they don't like, which is interesting because that Silicon Valley should be a place for that. But then you realize Zuckerberg and Dorsey and, uh, Google are all trying to make each other's platforms the exact same thing. So like if Twitter comes out with, uh, a news column, Facebook comes out with a news column. If Twitter comes out with Twitter spaces, Facebook wants to come out with audio spaces or whatever. And now there's this new one where it's, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's the hot new app where it's like uh, you just post where you are in the world at that moment. Uh, it's a photo and I haven't used it because um, I'm just, I'm getting up in that part of the age where technology is starting to frighten me. So uh, in that sense of, you know, where he goes with it. And, but for now, all of this shit to me has to get exercised out of there, which is Sheila, go ahead and give me your thoughts. I know you probably have thoughts on all of this. So give well, me like, I, give me like the five to fan. 10 minute thoughts. Cause I can barely. Oh, okay. All right. I, I'll, I'll, I'll take the mic for a bit. I, I just wanted to indicate that uh, I've had a tremendous week. I mean, I have just had a That's really great spectacular. Yeah. I've had a spectacular week. I got picked up as a writer in the UK on a, on a blog that does nothing but har- harangue the, the Great Reset, uh, you know, bar of problems. Okay. And then, and then I've discovered and rediscovered all the stuff that's wrong with DHS through this process, through the Twitter files, but also, you know, the CDC was, and this didn't even come from the Twitter files. This came from like America first, but it was right in the pocket of everything else that was being exposed. Um, so the CDC had regular meetings with DHS and that just got buried. It just, I don't know where it went, but it, it deserved to be in there because it was still Twitter. It was like, I'm like, Jermaine, because the CDC was laundering WHO policy at that time at Twitter to get everything choked out. And that's the government side that you didn't hear about. Right now we're hearing about the private sector side a lot. But this government side is really creepy, and I don't think it's getting as much um, sunlight. It needs more. It needs We need a lot more. And now that the Donald Trump stuff, everybody's gotten real quiet. I've noticed that all of the, the voices that were pitchy and high and going after Matt Taibbi, they're just kind of, I don't know where they are. <laughs> uh, that's something <laughs> that I've noticed as well. 
Uh, and part of that is they don't know how to respond yet. They're trying to kind of work on it. They're probably slack channeling a response. Um, it, looks to me like, it looks to me like part of the response is just don't respond to any of it. Like just let Barry Weiss and Taibbi just tweet their little threads out and don't worry about it. Well, what the fuck else are you guys going to talk about? Because I don't see you on post news. I got into post news, by the way, which is hilarious. Um, I don't see you guys on Mastodon talking about any of this stuff. So what, like, what are you reporting on? Like what, what, what is the bigger story on Twitter if you're going to be on Twitter? And so it does look like a concerted effort to either ignore it or just try to figure out a response because the dick pic thing, pardon the pun, was pretty limp. There wasn't a whole lot of people actually going with that. And so now it's okay. Now we see that they're actually having meetings with FBI intelligence states. So now I guess it's going to be, of course they were because of Donald Trump's behavior and his connections and foreign governments and MBS and Russian da da da. And that'll be the excuse, but they're going to probably debunk that one here in the next week or two as well. And so I think they figured out, let's not say anything until, um, you know, let's not say anything until we have a concrete reason to oppose it. So this isn't a big deal isn't going to really cut it because I think that this is no we're we're far out of the gate I, mean, I think we, that this we're is probably the biggest story it's probably the biggest into... story since the Snowden revelations as far as you know collusion with the government and 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 social media but I think that that's what it, you're you're right that they've gone kind of silent I've noticed the usual voices are not present in the debate uh because I think that they're kind of out of jabs to throw right now so Okay. Okay. I mean, because you, you, live, you live among them, Stephen. You know, in that vast swath of, you know, what, the New York Strip, you live among them. You can go to the journal bars and maybe find them. Are they journalists? Are they? I'm not sure. Do they, do they congregate? Or do they kind of go into these little swells of, you know, ecopods in Brooklyn? You know, like, I, I just have a vision of them not being normal. And it's 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 a little bit of everything. So I I I am not aspirationally inclined to have their life. Uh, I just think that they, you know, anyone who has ever used the term flyover state has immediately gone into a class of people I don't really want to talk to anymore. Just immediately. And I, I really haven't admitted that to a large group of people before, but I'm admitting it now. The minute I hear somebody call a United States state a flyover state as if they don't matter, I think that they're, I, I think that they're wrong, but they're also really, really arrogant and prideful and something bad is going to they're going to get toppled at some point. Some point the snake is going to eat its tail just like it's doing right now and they're going to lose something significant. And it might be their freedom this time because unfair practice their, their money, you know, a lot of them are let's say they're trust fund babies. I don't know really how they're going to get out of this one. Unfair practice. SEC violations. This is this is real, okay? Uh, what the DHS has done with this is a different type of crime. It's a brand of, of 
influence peddling from the government that isn't quite legal. So you can fire the head of DHS, who is Mayorkas. I put in a nice, strong call to my Congress people today, and I told them DHS has replicated programs in the past, like like duplicated, triplicated programs that have been attacked, like Nina Jankowitz was the misinformation board, right? Okay, well, people shot arrows into that and thought that they killed it, but that was the Trojan horse, okay? DHS was really moved their cheese over to CISA and told no one and said, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's go to FEMA and the military and the continuity of government folks, which will spray all the vectors of surveillance on speech to Twitter and we'll make the people do the enforcement for us. That's not, that's not our job. It's not your job to enforce speech to the government. That's never been your job. In fact, what they are doing is unconstitutional. I hope that DHS gets dismantled over this. Uh, uh, first, I wouldn't hold your breath because that'll still become too powerful under the next even Republican president. And to kind of wrap up, you know, I, I've seen people talk about the SEC violations and stuff like that. That's that's way down the road if any of that comes about. And there's going to be congressional hearings first, and we're going to hear from Yul Roth and Vijay Gad next year sometime. Um, but I would say to kind of give a good one-liner, you said, you know, these people might lose everything and the people who use flyover states. Well, Yul Roth <laughs> used the term flyover states in his tweets about voting for oh, an orange orangutan. Okay, perfect. Yeah, he's and, and, and Yul Roth has lost his favorite toy. So there is solace in that. So... Yay. I'm going to wrap up, Sheila. Okay. Sounds great. Thank Good you. To hear. Good to hear from you as always. Take care. Um, thanks, everyone, for humoring me. About. Uh, it's been episode 73. It's true. All of it. Twitter Files Part 2 Reaction Fallout of Shadow Ban Revelations. Um, I'm, I, I can't promise to be here tomorrow. We'll see how I'm doing. Uh, I'm pretty good at recovering from stuff like this just because because I talk for a living and know how to recover from it. So uh, I'm going to try to be back tomorrow to weigh in more on Taibi's thread. I didn't catch a whole lot of the last few, so I will try to catch up on that. Um, thanks again to my callers. Thanks again to you guys for spending uh, a little bit of your Friday nights here uh, on calling with me. You guys, again, once again, keep the show up towards the top, and I appreciate it. And uh, I, I wouldn't be doing this without either the audience or uh, my regular rotation of uh, drag callers. So, again, thank you. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. Uh, I'm going to try to be back on Patreon tomorrow. Again, that comes down to if I'm able to talk or not. But again, I appreciate you guys humoring me and letting me get through this. So again, have a good night. And I may or may not see you tomorrow if I'm able to speak. And uh, if not, then 